This morning we continue our time um, in the book of Matthew as we come to the seventh chapter and probably one of the most familiar texts in all of scripture, even if folks know little about Christianity or the Bible as a whole, the verse, judge not lest what? Lest you be judged, right? That's one of the most familiar passages, one of the most used passages even against Christians as ammunition against us. And today I, I want to bring this text before us, judge not, and ask the question, should we judge others? What is Jesus saying here when he says, judge not? Tim Keller makes a helpful comment on this passage as he writes, and he says, consider this. As Americans, when we say the statement, judge not, right? And when we're, at, we're responding to someone maybe that's condemning us or saying something against us in our lives, the reality is we're, we're telling them you should not evaluate my behavior negatively, right? We're telling them you don't have the right to make a, an interpretive decision about what I'm doing in my life. Yet at that very moment, guess what we're doing? We're judging them by the way that they're judging us, right? They're doing the very thing that they're saying that we shouldn't do. It, it's a, what we might call a, a logical fallacy. It doesn't hold up, right? And so the sense is, as Americans, we often come and we begin to think, judge not, and we're saying, absolutely, you shouldn't judge. But at the same time, when we say that, we're telling people that, guess what? You don't have the right to do what I've just done, which is judge you, right, by what you're doing. So this morning, I, I want to, again, I hope and pray to bring this, this text to us in, in a, a way to help us understand what is Jesus actually saying. If you notice the image there, I intentionally chose the in, image that's on the screen to hopefully communicate a point. If you notice, it's a young lady that's sitting there looking out over the city. And my assumption is that maybe as you see her, you begin to wonder, well, why is she outside the city? Maybe she's done something. Maybe there's a reason why she feels distant, right? There's maybe something that's happened in her life or done. At the same time, others of you may come and view and realize that she's sitting out almost looking down on the city as if she's making judgment on the city of things they've done and happened. And the reality is, I think that picture maybe captures well. And you may have other ideas about what's happening in the image, but... The image, I hope, captures well what Jesus is getting after in this text. Is that we often make decisions about other people's hearts when we really don't know. So let's wrestle today with this idea, judge not. Asking the question, should we ever judge others? Right, Because if you take the approach today that many do, that the only perfect people that can judge, like if you're, only if you're perfect, then you can judge, well then obviously nobody qualifies. And so we might say then, well, since nobody's perfect, then nobody's able to judge me and I'm off so supposedly like free, right? I don't have that type of restrictions in my life. But I think today Jesus is going to set before us this truth. That it, maybe this is our big idea today. We judge actions in mercy aimed at restoration. Notice it's intentional how I phrase it. We judge actions in mercy aimed at restoration. Today, the roadmap is kind of this. We're going to ask the question first, what does Jesus mean by the statement, judge not? Secondly, we should ask the question, should I be concerned if I'm ever judging others? Is that really that big a deal? And then third and last, then we need to ask, well, how should we deal with sin that is in our lives and in the lives of others? And then we'll launch last maybe into three ways in which maybe this text might help us live a transformed life. So let's, let's answer the first one or get after this statement. What does Jesus mean by the statement, judge not? Let's listen to it. Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 7, 
judge not. All right, so the statement is, what does the word judge even mean, right? Some texts render it discern, others indicate to condemn, right? So there's different ways in which the word, it has a range of meaning, right? Most of the time if you look up a word in a dictionary, it has multiple different meanings to it, right? The same way with the word judge, it can indicate different meanings, but nonetheless, it usually indicates that sense of judging, maybe discerning something, or even condemning it. So let's ask the question at the very beginning. Does this statement, judge not, permit us from ever judging? Right, that's what we're after. We need to know, what is Jesus saying here? How do we rightly interpret it? And so I, I hope, right, if I ask the question, how would you interpret the statement, judge not? My hope and prayer is, after all our time together, you would say, context what else is happening right there in the midst of the context right what what else is jesus saying around this statement of judge not what else is he communicating well look at me would fast forward in the text just a couple of verses down to verse three listen to what he says why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye or how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye you hypocrite First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus, in the very statement following verse 1, judge not, begins to tell us how we should judge. You see the context, right? I mean, he's not saying dismissing judging as a whole. He's saying here's how it should be done. Furthermore, listen to what he does in verse 6. Again, those that hear the words judge not and assume that means no judging allowed. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Jesus is talking about people. He's making a judgment about people. He says, don't give dogs what's holy, and don't throw your pearls before pigs. We don't have a ton of time today to walk through this. It's, it's a very challenging, interesting statement. He says, but lest they trample them underfoot, the, 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 what they're going to be trampling to them is the pearls, right? The things that are holy. Matthew uses that in Matthew 13 to talk about the pearls representing the kingdom of God. He says, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus uses this word here to identify dogs and pigs as animals that were unclean to the Jewish people, but they were also vicious, right? I mean, dogs typically weren't domesticated. But even so, think about this. Think today. I don't know how many of you got dogs at home. How many of you got dogs at home? How many of you are cat folks? How many of you are anti-any animal, right? There we go. Okay, I got a few, right? All in between, right? Nonetheless, if you have a dog or if you had an animal, think about this today. If you go home and you set the food out, right? So you put the food here. And you put a $100 bill here. My assumption is without, I mean, you may, you don't know my dog, Blake. I get it. Some of you are going to be offended, right? My assumption is it's highly likely that 10 times out of 10 or 100 times out of 100, that dog is going to go straight to the food. Even though the $100 bill that's sitting right there next to it could buy tons and tons of that food. Why? The dog doesn't see its value. Jesus is saying, listen, As we go out proclaiming the kingdom of God, we are to exercise judgment. Do you see it? In the midst of judge not, he's speaking about judging. So obviously he's telling us how we are to judge, right? I'm trying to play my hand out, but listen, Jesus is saying, guys, we have to be wise enough. We have to exercise judgment, we might say, to recognize how we are to share the gospel. Now, again, it's a tough statement here, and and I want to give a little bit of clarity to it. I think Jesus is saying to us, there's going to be times that we have to recognize that we have shared the gospel with someone and they are totally refusing 
And there's going to be moments when the Spirit says it's time to move forward. That does not mean that we stop praying for them. That does not mean that we stop loving them. And it does not mean that we are not ready whenever the Spirit says return back to go. But you and I both know there are folks that you share the gospel with that want absolutely nothing to do with it. And I've been guilty of just trying to break down the door. At the same time, don't hear this and say, well, is Jesus saying that we don't, we like decide who we share the gospel with? No, we share the gospel with anyone and everyone that the Lord places in our path as the Spirit leads. I mean, that would seemingly contradict what Jesus says in Matthew 28, wouldn't it? Like, therefore go and make disciples of all what? All nations. And the word nations indicates the unclean people. We might think the dogs and the pigs. And so Jesus is not saying that we're not taking the gospel to them. He's just saying that we may have to exercise judgment to realize that there are times in which we have shared the gospel, shared the gospel, and these folks are refusing and want nothing to do with it. And we might have to step back for a season until the Spirit leads us again. The point Jesus is saying, we must exercise judgment. So the context immediately speaks about the very things that many people so quickly assume it doesn't. Right? When they hear the word judge not, they may think, well, it absolutely means no judging others. But the context doesn't say that. In fact, the larger context, right, if you were looking, you'd say, Blake, what's judge not mean? We would look right here, I hope and pray, in the surrounding verses. But I hope as we begin to study more, we would open up wider, right? As you study, you're wondering, like, what's it mean right here? What's Jesus saying? Or what's, what's Paul trying to say right here to, to the New Testament to me? You look at the immediate surrounding verses, but then you begin to open up larger. And guess what we've been studying? Jesus has been talking about the kingdom, hasn't he? He's been telling us, listen, don't seek the treasures of the earth. Seek the, the treasures that are above. He said to us, listen, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you as well. Last week we heard this. Do not worry. And here's what happens to those disciples. And let's be honest, it happens in our own hearts. You begin, in light of what Jesus just said, to start looking all around you and thinking, hmm, you're not seeking the kingdom like I'm seeking the kingdom. You're not in Sunday school every week like I'm in Sunday school every week. Have you got... They, they're surely, Lord, they're not serious about the kingdom like I'm serious about the kingdom. I haven't seen them go on one mission trip in the last year. Lord, I know that they're, they're not serious like I'm serious about seeking the treasures that are above. I saw God. They got that new iPhone. Lord, I, I, I've been watching their life, Lord, and, and if they were really serious about seeking you and they were caring about not being anxious and concerned more with others, Lord, surely they'd be involved in the feeding ministry on Sundays or Thursdays. You see what happens in light of what Jesus said in the context he's just laid before us of what it looks like to be kingdom seeking first people. The temptation in every single heart of the disciple is a temptation in our hearts to look to the pews around you and think they don't worship like I worship. They're not giving like I give. They don't serve like I serve. You see what starts to happen. I think this is what Jesus is revealing to us. It's the heart. We start trying to look at others and begin to judge their heart motives. And we are not allowed to do that. We just, listen, we don't know. And I'll be honest with you. I haven't always got it right. I confess that even in the midst of this season, I've been guilty of making judgment about people's hearts based upon whether they're masked up or not masked up. I I repent of that. I'm sorry. I I confess. It's just an honest evaluation. Do I think it models brotherly love? Absolutely I do. And personally, I'm convicted and convinced of that. But nonetheless, there's been times when it probably has come from this pulpit judgmentally that I know your heart and I don't always know your heart. 
In fact, the Bible says that only God knows the heart. So that ultimately is between you and the Lord. So do you see how this text begins to call us to judge not, to say, listen, we don't ultimately know the hearts of other people. But it does not mean that we are not to judge. Why? Because in Matthew 7, just a few verses later, verses 15 to 20, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Well, how do you know a false prophet? You have to judge what they're saying and doing according to the Scriptures. What are you doing? You're making a judgment. In fact, in John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says to us, in fact, He commands us, make a right judgment. So again, in the midst of all of this, listen, the Bible here, as Jesus speaks about making judgments, He is clearly saying to us, we are to make judgments, but not to do the wrong way. And the wrong way is by judging the hearts of people. You can only see outward actions. You don't know the true heart motive that's behind it. Yes, I know that the tree, the fruit, you'll recognize them by their fruit. And so there's some indication of what's happening inside. But I think Jesus is cautioning us, slowing us to say, when you begin to make judgments of others, you don't always know the heart motive behind it. In fact, that's the testimony not only in the New Testament here in Jesus speaking. It's also there throughout the Old Testament. First Samuel 16, right? Samuel goes to anoint the new king after Saul. And the Lord says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. Right. So some of the sons of Jesse, some of David's brothers, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, where's the Lord look on the heart? I think that Samuel, what likely was happening is, is he was make, looking at the outward and assuming something about the inward. Do you see it? He looked at what he saw outwardly happening. He assumed that had to be what was taking place inwardly. And so if their stature and height, like what he was seeing, that must meant they were qualified to be king. And in fact, what he, God does is he brings maybe the smaller in stature with the bigger heart that God's at work in. And says, this is the one I've chosen. Not only there, 1 Samuel 16, in the New Testament, Paul says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. So there are things that are now hidden. What are those things? Listen to what he says. And will disclose the what? Purposes of the what? The heart. There's things that are now hidden. He says that then each will receive his commendation from God. But the reality is we are told not to pronounce the judgment. Why? Because we don't know what's ultimately hidden in the heart of others. I think this is what Jesus is saying to us when he says, judge not. We don't always know and see what is the true motive of the heart behind the action. And so listen, I think though it's clear in light of what we see in the New Testament, we see in the Old Testament and what Jesus is saying here in the context surrounding is that judgment is not only legitimate, but Jesus expects us to do it. However, the kind of judging that is condemned is that when we begin to think we know the motive of every person's heart around us. And so it brings us back to our big idea. We judge actions in mercy aimed at restoration we judge actions in mercy aimed at rest restoration with that being said might we ask right well like why should i even be concerned about judging with others like what's the big deal right like who cares right judge not 
whatever, judge, whatever. Like, why should I even be concerned maybe today, though, if you're here and you find yourself guilty, like me, of judging the hearts of other people? Listen to what Jesus says. Back in verse 1. Judge not that. Here's the reason why. You what? Be not judged, right? King James, lest ye not be judged, right? Jesus says the reason why that we are judging not, and specifically, right, the reason why we're not judging the hearts of others, he says that you not be judged. There's a sense in which you will be judged by others, but I think especially as Jesus shows us here, listen, we're going to be judged by a greater judge. Right? I mean, that's what 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, Paul was making his argument, right? Is The fact is, listen, we are not qualified to stand in the place of God and judge the hearts of other people. We just can't see perfectly. Only the Lord can do that. So Paul, listen, he similarly speaks about the coming judgment in Romans chapter 14. And here's what was happening. The church was battling one another. See, the Jewish people grew up with the Old Testament, right? They had many different kinds of laws. And some of those laws involved the food, things that they were able to eat and things they weren't. Guess what? Many Jews obviously are saved the day of Pentecost happens, right? And then as the gospel begins to spread forth in the book of Acts, Gentiles are come in. Those are people that have not lived under the Old Testament law, especially things, right, like food laws. Now all of a sudden they're in one church. And the Jewish folks, many of them, most of them, still abide by those same ceremonial food laws. And they look over and see either some Jews who now think they have liberty to no longer live under those laws, which is true, Paul tells us. But then they see many of the Gentiles, right? The va- all, I'm assuming all the Gentiles, that they don't abide by those food laws. And so now they begin to look over and assume, listen, since you're not doing this, then maybe they don't love God like I love God. And there's this fight, battle in the church. It happens. It even reaches leadership as great as... The Apostle Peter, Galatians chapter 2, check it out. But listen, watch what happens here. This is what Paul says in Romans 14 in light of this, what's happening in the church, this fighting. Why? Who are you? Look what he says, verse 4 of Romans 14. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? So again, we have this issue of judgment. It is before his own master, right? So speaking of the Lord, his master, that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for Here's why. The Lord is able to make him stand. Paul says to us, listen, guys, we can't judge the hearts of others. And in fact, he's, he's advocating for freedom, right? In regards to food laws. And, but maybe as you think about, like, well, Blake, it doesn't, food laws don't affect me. But maybe you, as a believer, you still look at Sunday as a sense, no, although it's not the Sabbath, as a day of rest. And so you may drive by your Christian neighbor today and see them out mowing, washing a car, even picking up sticks in the yard. And you're like, ah, don't love Jesus like I love. Do you see what happens? The heart starts to come out, doesn't it? You start to begin to make decisions about their heart based upon what you see in their sense, right? I understand. I get the day of rest. I'm in agreement about a day of rest each week. That's part of what God created in the creation order. But I think Paul advocates that that may be different to each of us. So again, nonetheless here, that's what I think Paul is advocating, saying, listen, at the end of the day, we will stand or fall before our own master, who is the Lord, and the Lord is able to keep the faith of the weak strong. So the first reason we don't judge is because we don't know the heart motives of others and because God himself will judge the hearts of others. 
The second, I believe, is Jesus' further explanation of that. Look back with me, Wood. Again, verse 1 of Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For, this is, again, when you see the word for, he's making a reason of, here's the ground for my argument. Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. I don't know, any of you ever, anybody in here ever like done a boomerang before? Anybody ever done a boomerang? I'm terrible at them, right? But I've seen people that know how to use a boomerang. They throw that bad boy back, right? And all of a sudden, before you know it, it lands right back in their hand. That's what Jesus is saying. When you, whatever measure or pronouncement that you use of judging people, however strictness that you use, he says, it's going out, but listen, guess what? It's going to come back. Now, yes, there, there may be men and women, other people in the community to begin to make that same lens in which they look through to you. But I think ultimately he's speaking about the Lord. He's saying the Lord is going to measure that to you. Can you imagine today for a moment that you stand in the presence of God, the holy and true living one who knows every heart, every motive, and he judges you based upon how you have judged others. I don't know a man or a woman who truly is in Christ that doesn't hear that and cause them to tremble today. And begin to thank, Lord, I need to be more merciful and gracious. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story. He says, listen, there was a man who owed 10,000 talents to his master. Estimates are that somewhere around $6 billion in our currency today. $6 billion. I don't know anybody in here that's not going to be affected by having to pay $6 billion. And he goes and he pleads with the master. Master, please forgive me. He says, the master has mercy on this man. The man is forgiven of his debt and he's released. And now he goes out and that man who's been forgiven of this $6 billion debt finds a man who owes him 100 denarii, which is equivalent to about $12,000. Still a great sum, right? And the man does the very same thing that that man had done. He says, Master, would you please, Lord, would you you please have pity on me? He says, no, throw him in jail, the debtor's prison, until he's paid the last penny. People hear about this and see, and they go back and tell the master, Master, listen, the man that you've forgiven, he found a guy that only owed him $12,000, and he wasn't willing to show him mercy like you showed him. And he says, bring him in here. He says, the man comes before the master. And he says, why did you not show the same mercy that I showed you? Throw him in the prison and don't let him out until he's paid the last penny. The point is, he'll never get to the place of paying the last penny. Jesus is using that to say to us, we who have been forgiven of such a great sacrifice and cost, are we now, the forgiven, going to withhold forgiveness? It doesn't like it doesn't like the debt we owe to a holy and righteous and perfect God has been forgiven, wiped away, clean forever because of Christ's sacrifice. And now you look at others and you're unwilling to forgive them? Jesus warns, be careful. Be careful. Hear his words there. Judge not for the same measure that you use will be used against you. Right? I mean, this again is a moment of just saying that we all here stand before a holy God. This past week I was in conversation with someone trying to share the gospel and they were convinced that we have reincarnation, that we have an opportunity to come back and get things right if we don't get it wrong, like a second try, so to speak. And I said, Hebrews 9 and 27. 
It says that man and woman, boy and girl, is destined to die once and after this to face judgment. And the individual responded back, I don't know what Bible you're reading. But that's surely not the God I worship. Wow. You see, our feelings and emotions can begin to trump the Scriptures. Do you see it? We begin to believe whatever we want to believe. And the truth is today, we are all going to face judgment. We've incurred a legal debt to a holy God. And and 1 John 3 and 4 says to us, because sin is breaking the law of God, therefore we are all guilty. The payment, according to Paul in Romans 6 and 23, the payment for that sin is what? It's death. And in the context, death is eternal death, separated from a holy God, a perfect God, from ever, forever. So like the man in Matthew 18 who owe a debt we can never pay. Listen, in this moment, we are guilty in the same way. We're guilty of being liars and thieves and stealing. Right? We're guilty of lust and adultery in our hearts. We are guilty of hatred and murder that is birthing there in our hearts. I mean, who today can pass the test of Matthew 7 and 1? Judge not. Who of us is not guilty of just this verse of the Bible alone? And you see, listen, it brings guilt in the presence of a holy God. It brings a sentence of hell and separation and punishment forever. And you have to wonder, is there any hope then? How did that man in Matthew 18 with such a great debt, maybe you feel that today, such a great debt that you owe to God, how could it ever be paid? I want you to know from the Word of God, it won't be paid by your good deeds. It was paid by His. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He, speaking of Christ, our Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, the Blessed and Holy One, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Do you hear that? He bore your sins in His body on that cursed cross. He went into the presence of the perfect and holy judge and He took your sin and shame. He took. The measure that you used, and it was measured against Him. The perfect measurement of a holy God towards sin was levied on the Son. And Isaiah 53 says, it was the Lord's will to crush Him and to cause Him to suffer. As Peter says, what happened in response to this? It's that, he says, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed righteousness that's been given to us not that we've earned or deserved the perfection of christ has been credited to our account in light now of that we don't have to go around our lives living and beginning to judge every person's heart that we see we instead as one who has been restored to the master we are encouraging others you be restored to the master you experience the forgiveness we might say today in light of this text we judge actions in mercy aimed at restoration that's where i want to bring this third how should we deal with the sin in our own lives and that of those around us how should we deal with sin that is in our own lives and that of those around us look what he says here beginning verse 3 of matthew 7 Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? So again, we we have the speck, we have the log, right? I mean, it's kind of ironic. Obviously, Jesus is using hyperbia right right here, right? I mean, can you imagine walking around with a two by four, 
right, in your eye, not noticing it? Or, or even better yet, can you imagine walking around with a two-by-four today in your eye and other people not noticing it? Jesus is saying it's just impossible, right? Yet, he says, that's so often what we do. We don't acknowledge and recognize the sin in our life, yet we begin to see tiny specks in the hearts of others. Listen to what Jesus says. He calls us a hypocrite when we do this. You hypocrite. He says you're an actor. You're, you've got the mask on. You're faking it. You're pretending that you don't have the log when you do. Listen to what he says. He doesn't say that we don't judge. Listen to his order right here. Watch what he says. This is important. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then, or we might say secondly, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, he says first. He doesn't say that we shouldn't do anything. He says that we must first begin by what? Repenting our own. Beginning to come and confess our sins to a holy God. Asking for His forgiveness. Asking God not only, God, would you forgive me? But God, I want to be transformed. Lord, I want to truly repent. I don't want to continue living this way. Listen, Jesus is obviously exaggerating here to show a point. But the truth is, the closer that you come to Christ the more your sin begins to look like that log. You with me? I mean, I don't know about for you, but like for me, it's typically early in the mornings. It is my aim every morning to have an appointment with the holy optometrist. And he begins to open up the Word of God. And as I begin to read, Judge not that you not be judged, he asked me, Blake, one or two? One? You acknowledge that you're guilty of this? You've got a heart issue? Or two? That's ah, not the me. Not that big a deal. Do you come to the holy optometrist morning by morning or evening by evening or midday by midday? I don't know when it consistently is, but I want you to know that you need a consistent spiritual eye checkup day after day, hearing from the Word of God. And it's in these moments that the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God begins to flow into my heart. And then, beloved, listen, then in response to the forgiveness and grace that He has shown me, then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. Do you see it? Why? Because then you're in such a heart posture of mercy and grace for your own greatness need. You know the $6 billion debt that you had. You begin to see all the other debts out there is so small. Theirs are so small. What they've done to you is nothing like what you have done to a holy and perfect God. You begin to look of how, right? I mean, he says, and then you'll see clearly to take that speck out. Listen, Jesus is clearly expecting his people to exercise judgment and call one another to account. Listen, but we don't know those inward heart motives. So listen, all we can see is the sinful action. We're seeing the specks. It's the sinful action that we recognize. Right, It's those moments when we begin to say, listen, that clearly contradicts what the Word says. So listen, uh, can you think about this? I mean, again, he's talking about almost like we think about eye surgery. Right? I don't know about you, but I mean, can you imagine somebody coming into your eye like with dirty hands and big gloves on and like all this messed up instruments like trying to come in and get something out of you? I'd be like, no, not a chance. You see, as forgiven folks, we come in so humbly, so gently. We may even come weeping with tears. You're breaking my heart. Don't do this. Please, brother, don't continue in this path. You're contradicting the very Word of God. 
Don't oppose the living one. Please, sister, don't. Do you sense the urgency? Why? Because we love them. It's unloving to see the speck in their eye and just say, you just have to deal with that. No, I don't, we don't know the heart, but we see these actions. Listen to how Paul describes it in Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Notice here first that it's anyone. No one's above it. Pastor, Pope, President, anyone. Anyone is caught. Notice that there's a sense of sense. There's a sense in which they are entangled, right? It's, it's likely some type of ongoing sin that just continues and continues. And I hope and pray they're wrestling, fighting, saying, I don't want to continue in this. That's a danger. If you're here today and you're living in continual habitual sin and there's no desire to quit or fight, you've got a major spiritual issue. But this, listen, he says they're, they're caught in this. It's any transgression. Notice that again, the statement, any transgression. You who are spiritual. What's it mean to be spiritual? He, he says that they are those who act in a spirit of gentleness, which again makes me assume they are folks who also know their own sinfulness. They are aware, right, the fact that they too are in every way tempted. It's a sense in which they come with meekness and gentleness. Notice the goal, though. This is huge. What is the goal? That they would be restored. Our goal is not to shame someone as you come and talk to them. The goal with your children is not to shame them. And I am very guilty of this at times. The goal is to restore them. It's to show them the righteous path. It is to call them back. It is to be merciful and gracious as you, as your father has been with you. It is to do this with such gentleness and such meekness. Paul says, listen, it is just this sense of which I am unworthy. I too am a sinner. Come back today. So it's a reminder as we examine this text, as we look to the entire New Testament, those who say judge not means you should never judge don't understand the context of Matthew 7. And they're not grasping what I think the entire way of the New Testament is showing us. So maybe today, how might you rightly live out this truth of judge not? Maybe three things. First, deal with your own heart first. Deal with your own heart first. Start with the logs that are in your eyes today. Begin asking God, search me and know me, O God. See if there be any right grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting as the psalmist prays. Father, show me, reveal to me, and then pray, repent, asking God to give you a desire to flee, to run, to be a Joseph. If today you heard this text and you thought, well, oh, so-and-so needs to hear it, you're missing the log. Do you see that? If that was your heart today, I can't wait to tell so-and-so or they need to hear this. They need to, it's, it's the log. You think someone else's heart needs it more than your own. So deal with your own heart first. Secondly, love your neighbor what? As yourself. Man, uh, Jesus says that sums up, right? It's, that's it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why? Well, I think as Jesus shows us here, it's eye surgery. Right? I mean, you don't want somebody coming after you in the midst of your sin and like just pow, 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 pow. You're coming merciful, gracious, laying before them the Scriptures, right? It's God's truth, not your truth, God's truth. Saying, brother, sister, I, I see this happening in your life and here's what the Word says. Brother, sister, please, just, just help me understand why, why you're headed on the path you're headed on. 
It's gentleness. It's meekness, right? I mean, we think about our judicial system. Yeah, there's a lot of things messed up, but we strive, uh, grasp on that fact that you're innocent until what? Proven guilty. The benefit of doubt should be shown. I think Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love believes all things. We are assuming the best about other believers. We're hoping for the best. Not going in thinking, I know your heart. I know exactly why you're doing what you're doing. It's hard, isn't it? Hard with your spouse. Hard with your parents. Hard with a coworker. Hard with other people you see, know in the community. But our aim always is what? Restoration. It's to restore them. We want them to return back. We want them to be a part of the body of Christ. We want them to continue to walk in the grace and the mercy of God. Third and last. Always keep the central purpose in mind, and that's restoration. What was the goal of today's text in Matthew 7? Both people walk away seeing, isn't it? The goal wasn't just like, well, I hope I see and I don't really care about them. No, the goal was first deal with the sin in your own life. And then, he says, you'll be able to deal with the speck in your eye. Jesus' goal is both people leave seen. It's restoration for all. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's all of us. This is why we must speak and call brothers and sisters to account. Maybe this paradigm will help. Maybe you'd ask these questions. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Think about that next time it comes to making a judgment decision on something. Are you presuming the idea that it's untrue, unnecessary, unkind? If it is, stay away. If it's not true, right, untrue, it's unnecessary and it's unkind. Believer, step back. And if the Lord does move you forward, remember, we're condemning actions. We're calling actions to come in line with the truth. We don't ultimately know the hearts of others. Thank Jesus is cautioning us. Be slow. Be merciful and gracious. Remember what Jesus did say there. Judge not that you be not judged. There's a day of judgment coming for us all. And the only way to be prepared for that judgment is to repent and believe upon the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be forgiven. There's no other way to have your heart transformed. It is only the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, would you repent and believe that you could be forgiven and escape the judgment and wrath that is to come? What is your defense on that day, beloved? Today, you die and stand before the Lord. Tomorrow, you die and stand before the Lord. Fifty years from now, you die and stand before the Lord. What is your defense on that day? If it's anything other than the blood of Christ, beloved, you will be guilty. And stand condemned. Jesus says you stand condemned already in this moment because you have not believed on the name of God's one and only Son. Today, would you come to the Father through the Son? I pray you would. Father, strengthen us to hold fast to your word. Forgive us, Lord. I'm assured that there are other brothers and sisters in this church that are guilty as I of making judgments of other people's hearts. Father, I pray we not rush out or rush to the next song and not deal with this. God, please. 
We pacify our sins so often, Lord. Stick the pacifier in and move on. Please, Father, let us deal drastically with sin. Jesus said there needs to be some cutting off, Lord God. I pray, Father, in this place there will be some spiritual amputations this hour. Pray it, Lord. Thank you for mercy and grace that you have shown us. Let us now go and plead with tears, calling others to return, to be restored. I pray by the power of your Spirit you will accomplish this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.